This is Chicago's game day. Deep to left field, and it is there and gone. Deep left center. Game over. Cuts win. Cuts win. Chicago's game day. He is at the wall. He leaps. He caught it. He caught it. Alvarez. It's a triple play for the Sox. Base is loaded. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome on in. Fred Huebner with you. Sunday morning, baseball's underway. The White Sox played a couple of preseason games yesterday. The Cubs played one. Chris Bryant going deep, and then he had things to say. Never knew. Players always used to say, I don't read the papers. I don't pay attention to what you guys say, apparently. Players nowadays do. That's why Joe Madden had to read the Millennials for Dummies, I guess. 312-332-3776. That's the number. We'll go out to Arizona in the 11 o'clock hour. Jesse Rogers will join us at 11. We'll talk to him about his buddy, Chris Bryant. Also find out some other things about the uh, Cubs as they get their thing going. They, they're all situated. It's, it's pretty interesting to me. Um, they've got all their starting pitchers going this week. Starting today, actually, one of their starters. I know, don't cringe, it's Tyler Chatwood. He pitches today against Madison Bumgarner and the Giants, a 205 start. But then it's Lester, Darvish, Hamels, Hendricks, Quintana all the way through the week. So each of the starters getting getting going right away as the spring training games get, games get started. So we'll talk some uh, Cubs baseball. We'll talk about that Bulls win last night. We will get to that as well. We've got a lot of other things to do throughout the course of the show. Uh, what we'd like to do uh, is have a couple of um, ESPN polls. You can get these uh, at ESPN1000 on Twitter. You can also give me a call if you want to uh, talk about it that way. We will get to it. And uh, here are the poll questions we're going to start with. Let me give you a couple we're going to get into a little bit later on. And then I'll give you some baseball ones that we're going to start right off the bat with. Because me being a White Sox fan, I've had many, many people ask me, including Sylvie, when I work with him on Friday, about my opinions on what happened with Manny Machado and everything else in the free agency. So here are the uh, ESPN fan poll questions for today. Um did you enjoy last night's Bulls win over Boston? Pretty simple. Yes, no, or didn't watch. Bulls never won three in a row, 126-116 over the Celtics. I turned it on, and they were up 25. I watched the rest of it. It got close. It got to within six or seven, I think. And then the Bulls opened it up again. Uh, Zach Levine was pretty amazing. He had 42 last night. 17 of 29 shooting, 5 of 11 from 3. Larry Markin with 35. So the question on the ESPN uh, fan poll at ESPN 1000 on Twitter, did you enjoy last night's Bulls win over Boston? Yes, no, and didn't watch. Number two, how many home runs will Chris Bryant hit? Remember, yesterday doesn't count. Um, will he hit fewer than 25? Will he hit 25 to 30? 31 to 40? Or more than 40 home runs. We'll hear from Chris Bryant a little bit later on. Now to some baseball, which we're going to get into. Who is the better player? Manny Machado or Bryce Harper? So who's the best player? Who's the better player, let's say? The better player. Manny Machado, Bryce Harper. 
you can go on Twitter at ESPN1000. And after coming in second for Machado, should the White Sox have gone after Harper? Yes or no? Real simple. That's all we want to know. 312-332-3776. And uh, without a doubt, I have numerous opinions on the whole situation. The um, Paul Sullivan, you get a chance to read the paper. If you read the paper still or you can see it online, Paul Sullivan in the Tribune today, it says, Cubs and Sox fans never satisfied with money spent. Says the one constant in baseball is no matter how much the owner's willing to spend, it's never enough to appease everyone. That was apparent last week on both sides of town. Sox chairman Jerry Reinsdorf criticized for offering free agent Manny Machado only $250 million in guaranteed money instead of $300 million that uh, he took from the Padres. While the Cubs, uh, Tom Ricketts, forced to defend his spending habits, Despite a $212 million payroll, the biggest in franchise history. So we'll talk a little bit here about Manny and about the White Sox. And if you're a Sox fan, how you feel about that? It's difficult for me. And I can't. Chris Black was on earlier. He has said it a couple times. There are other White Sox fans that have said it. The White Sox were in this to get Manny Machado. They were not in it just to be in it. Okay, the White Sox would not put out an offer of 250 million guaranteed for eight years and two years of 35 mil apiece if you reach 55 plate appearances. Technically, he would have been making more money if, in fact, he quote believed in himself. In my opinion, I know Sox fans are saying the players only want to go for the guarantee. Why didn't the White Sox offer the guarantee? The White Sox weren't going to do that. Okay, they had to set the limit somewhere. And despite what people tell you, until Rick Hunter, until Dan Lozano tells me personally that, listen, we called the White Sox and said the Padres are offering 10 years, $300 million. Can you beat it with guaranteed money? Until I hear that, I'm not going to think that the White Sox knew exactly what the Padres offer was. The White Sox did sweeten the offer. They did make it up to um, $320 million for 10 years, uh, with the last two years being, you know, you had 550 plate appearances in year 8 and year 9. You get, the, you get years 9 and 10. They're there. But the White Sox apparently didn't want to give the five-year out or didn't in this contract, from what we understand. And I'm always questionable about contract outs. They're great for the player. And they don't help the team at all. If the guy's really bad, he's not going to take the out. If he's good, he's going to leave and you're going to have to pay more money than you've already got him under contract for in order to keep him. So it's a no-win situation. It's only good for the player. Um, You know, Jason Hayward's got outs in his contract. He's not going to take them. No one else is going to pay him the kind of money the Cubs are paying him. So it's kind of crazy. So... Earlier today, on the way in, I'm listening to Buster Olney's Baseball Tonight podcast from earlier in the week. And he had Scott Miller on. Scott Miller, um, Bleacher Report, Turner Sports, MLB, uh, all over the place. Scott Miller said he talked with a high-ranking executive with one of the teams that was in on Manny and Harper. And what this high-ranking executive said was, one guy can go 0 for 4 and help you win games. The other guy can go 0 for 4 and he's not going to help you win at all. 
Now, he didn't say who he meant, but it's pretty easy to decipher that the guy that can go over four and help you win games is Manny Machado. I have no problem with the White Sox not going after Bryce Harper, especially if Scott Boris thinks Bryce Harper is a better player than Manny Machado. There are many people out there. I've heard Carmen talk about it throughout the last couple of weeks, and a lot of people are praising Bryce Harper. Ah, you know, he had an MVP season. Three years ago, he had an MVP season. Okay? He had an MVP season in 2015. He has a tendency of not always being out there to play. He has a tendency of being hurt. He does get on base more because people are afraid to pitch to him a little bit more than they're afraid to pitch to Manny. So he does walk a lot. That's definitely something that happens with him. Now, earlier in the week, David Kaplan had a chance to talk to Rick Hahn. This was after the decision by Manny Machado to go to San Diego. And Rick Hahn was asked if the money was there for a $300 million-plus offer. You know, there is no magic number or magic ceiling so to speak and you know for years people were saying that 68 million was our was our ceiling uh because that's the most we ever spent was jose abreu signing but there is no limit on the generic player the premium player in terms of how far we could go on individual players we have a comfort level in terms of what contract makes sense and that that ranges from anyone on our roster you know guys were signing like james mccann to come in and uh play a play a role behind the plate to the top tippy top of the market uh we got to a place where we felt we were balancing uh both the long-term interest of the player, the potential upside, the flexibility that the club needed, and giving us some protection on the, on the downside risk in terms of the out years. But it was never, hey, we could, the most we could ever offer a player is a quarter billion dollars, which obviously is a very big number, but it's not as if that's a magic ceiling. On, a certain, on other players, the number is going to be different. The calculus on each individual guy in terms of risk, reward, and, and what we're able to tolerate uh, varies with each player's talent and, and what they present. There's there's no doubt about it. And a lot of people said that the White Sox were kind of on the, uh, you know, they were trying to do things the way the Red Sox did it with J.D. Martinez. They put an offer out there. They said, here's the offer. You look around, see what else you can find. And if you can't find it, our offer is here. I'm looking right now. J.D. Martinez last year got 23.7. He got 23-7 uh, this coming year, 23-7 after that, and then 19-3 and 19-3. He can opt out following this year for a $2.5 million buyout. So what the Red Sox did was they got their guy. They needed a power hitter. They knew that ever since David Ortiz left, they didn't have a guy hitting home runs. They bring in a J.D. Martinez. They say, listen, we'll give you outs because we're ready to win right now. And we need a guy to hit the ball out of the park. And you know what J.D. Martinez did last year? He hit 43 out of the park with a 130. Uh, runs batted in. Total bases, 358. He led all of baseball. Okay, The White Sox are not ready to win right now. The White Sox put a number out there. Now, if we heard the eight-year 250 originally, I thought that was a good deal. I thought it was a great deal because I was never a guy that wanted to go to 10 years. I know it's not my money. But you've got to set limits somewhere. It's hard for me to believe. It's not that hard to believe. But when I hear White Sox fans say that they're mad at the organization 
for not upping their deal. When the deal that Manny Machado got, 10 years, $300 million, is the biggest free agent deal in American sports history. The White Sox finished second. I know you want the White Sox to win that. I know you want the White Sox to bring in a big-name free agent. Manny Machado, in my opinion, would have been a great fit. They would have put him at third. They would have put him at short. They could have played him at short. Move Tim Anderson somewhere else. They moved Moncada over to third. I know you wanted that. The White Sox are not ready to win right now. It's going to be a couple years still. The Padres are definitely not ready to win right now. It's going to be a few years for them. And we just imagine this. If they start winning and Manny's having good seasons, he'll be gone in five years. Because he'll take the out if he can get a deal somewhere else. 312-332-3776. So again, those ESPN fan polls at ESPN 1000. You want to jump on in with those. Who is the better player, Machado or Harper? And after coming in second for Machado, should the White Sox have gone after Harper? Yes or no? The one I didn't put up there, which I was going to, um, the one I didn't put up there was, do you think that Bryce Harper will make more than Manny Machado? I seem to be the only guy that thinks he'll make less. And the reason is that right now it appears that Philadelphia is the only team in on this. It doesn't appear the Giants are in. The White Sox apparently don't seem to be interested. And if you're the only team out there making offers for Bryce Harper, why are you going to make him more than Manny Machado? Say, listen, Manny signed for 10 years, $300 million with it out after five. We'll give you the same thing. We'll give you maybe even a little less. Now, I know Scott Boris wants, you know, Scott Boris has a much bigger ego than Bryce Harper even. And he wants to be the agent that got more money for him. Rick Hahn was asked the other day if Bryce Harper is still a possibility. This happened on the day that Manny decided to sign with San Diego. I'm not going to talk about any individual targets. I've, I've tried my darndest to stay away from talking about that throughout this process. Obviously, a lot of stuff has more than I would prefer has leaked out, which required us to respond from time to time. The only thing I can say is, well, is twofold. Reiterate again, this isn't about one guy. Uh, whether that person is uh, currently in the big league clubhouse or the minor league clubhouse or uh, a future draftee on a college campus or a future free agent target. It's never was about one guy. That said, we will continue to be aggressive on premium talent, whether it's international, as you saw us do with Luis Robert, whether it's via trade, like you saw us do on Cease and Jimenez, or whether it's via free agency, which unfortunately we did not convert on today. No, they didn't. And he did say it's not about one guy. And at SoxFest, when all the questions were coming about free agency, and when Rick Hahn stood up at the podium at SoxFest with all the Chicago reporters out there and asking him, it seemed like the question was always about Manny and not about Bryce Harper. It always seemed like he was the guy they were going after. He's the guy that fit. He was the better fit for the White Sox. And I think part of the reason is exactly what you heard Meet say about Scott Miller from Bleacher Report, what he said on the Buster Only uh, Baseball Tonight podcast, that a high-ranking executive said one can go over four and still win you games, other one can go over four and necessarily not do anything for you. 312-332-3776. I know Sox fans are upset about this. Um, one thing that the White Sox did try to do that I never quite understood it. I knew it, you know, it seemed silly to me. They went out and got Yonder Alonzo, the brother-in-law of Manny Machado. They went out and got John Jay, best friends. 
with Manny Machado, guys from the University of Miami. Well, at the Manny Machado press conference the other day, Manny said, yeah, he goes, Alonzo and Jay did help. They talked great about San Diego. They, they never stopped talking about it. Yonder loves it. John Jay as well. So, um, you know, they're just happy for me and for my family and for our situation. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to see him quite a bit here in, in Arizona. And, uh, you know, we're always going to be a phone call away like we talk every day. If I am not mistaken, the White Sox play the Padres today in uh, Arizona. So it'll be interesting if they have a chance to run into Manny. I doubt Manny's going to be playing yet. He's still trying to figure out how big of a wallet he needs to put all his money away. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. We go to Willowbrook and Owen. Owen, you're on ESPN 1000. What's happening? Hi, Fred. It's good to talk to you. Um, hey, I want to tell you what Vegas thinks, at least for this year, about Manny Machado and the Padres. Before they picked up Machado, the the, the uh, Vegas had the win total for San Diego at 74. After Machado, 77. That only comes out to about $10 million a win. Um, the, other, the other thing I'd rather see, and I'm glad they didn't get Machado, the Sox still don't have a consistent number one starter. And next year you're, you're going to have guys like Sale available. I know Kluber's gonna avail, is available. How about Brower from, from Cleveland? I'd rather see you're going to win world championships with a solid number one starter, and the Sox don't have a proven number one right now. Would you have a problem if they used some of that money and went after Keuchel now? After who? I'm sorry, after who? You said you said Kluber, but if, would you have a problem if they went after Dallas Keuchel right now? No, no, I no, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Um, I, I, I just think they need a, a strong, solid number one that's proven. Yeah, and you don't win championships with young pitchers. You have to have you have to have veterans. And I mean, look, hey, I'm not going. Out, I'm not a Cubs fan one bit. But look what the Cubs did. They yeah, went we're... after they went after pitching first. They went after Lester. Um, and the Sox always a bet, always promoted pitching better than the Cubs. I think. But but you know what? You got to get a solid number one. And you know who's available next year too? If you want a number two, three, or four, is Quintana. Yeah, he's available again. Owen, appreciate the call. And you mentioned Chris Sale, and yeah, Chris Sale is available. He's going to make lots of money uh, if he either signs back in Boston or signs somewhere else. Um, I know it's it's childish. I've been uh, anti Chris Sale ever since he cut up the jerseys. I thought just a, he's just a he's a tremendous tremendous pitcher, unbelievable pitcher. Just a child as as I mean as a person. I mean, really, you're cutting up jerseys. Oh, I'm not comfortable. Shut up. Put your uniform on and throw the ball. You know, he's a tremendous pitcher, and he showed it last year. It's actually unfortunate that he was hurt and couldn't go as much as he did. He did come in and got the uh, the final outs in the World Series, and that was great for him. Um, but they do need a, you know, they have a starting rotation right now. They're trying to build it on young pitchers. Um, you're right. I'm not sure who their number one would be. I mean, this year, they're hoping it'll be Michael Kopech. That's a lot of hope. It's a lot of, a lot to put on the shoulders of a young kid who will be coming back from Tommy John next year in 2020. So I would think somewhere along the line, buying a starting pitcher in free agency would be on the list out there for the White Sox. One other thing I wanted to make sure I got to, this is when Cap had uh, Rick Hahn on the other day, it is will the money be spent on a big free agent in the future? The, the, the 
fact is, you're absolutely right. The money is going to get spent at some point. It's obviously earmarked towards putting us in the best possible position to win multiple championships. Now, initially when this whole process started and people sort of viewed us, I'd say, as an afterthought or an unlikely destination, we understood that because in, in theory it's a, it's a year early in terms of where we are in this rebuild. You don't tend to see teams being aggressive at the top of the market at the start of year three of a rebuild. However, as I've said throughout, there's a couple of unique talents out there and that conceivably made sense if we could line up for us to be aggressive now even if we might be in a better position a year from now or, or soon thereafter to know exactly what holes we have on a potential championship roster. So at some point, the money's going to be spent. I'm, I'm out of the prognostication business of, in terms of saying whether it's going to be this offseason or next offseason or a trade deadline or when exactly it's going to happen. The one thing I can say with 100% confidence is that we are going to continue to be aggressive and we are going to spend money to put us improve the position uh, that we've already put ourselves in in terms of having a bright future. So uh, some people are thinking it, that when Rick Hahn said that, you know, and he tried to be as uh, as particular as can be, he said the money will get spent somewhere. They have that money. It's not like, okay, we didn't spend it on this guy. We're not going to be able to spend money. My question is, I mean, if there is, you know, a Dallas Keuchel, a guy that is a, a very, very good pitcher, if you think he's worth that kind of money or worth big money, go on out and sign him. There are other pitchers. I mean, obviously, the White Sox are not going to go after a closer. Craig Kimbrell is still sitting out there, okay? Um, there are other teams. I would have thought the White Sox it would have been a great get getting Marwin Gonzalez, who the Minnesota Twins picked up. Marwin Gonzalez can play left, right, um, third, first. He can play all over the place, and he can hit the ball for you. He showed that with Houston, and that's going to be a big loss for the Astros. They could, they, you know, he was a, a guy that they could use in numerous positions. He was used very often. Uh, I thought it was a great pickup by Minnesota. Minnesota's actually trying this year. They get a new manager in Rocco Baldelli. They're actually trying to win games, and um, you know they they pick up Nelson Cruz, and they think some of their young pitching will be better, and they're still hoping that Buxton and Sano are going to be guys that develop into the players that they think they're going to be. So those would be uh, interesting things, and we'll see how the how the Twins do, and we'll, we'll talk more as we lead up to the start of the Major League Baseball season about how uh, things are going to be uh, in both the Cubs division and the White Sox division. We're going to talk more Cubs baseball with Jesse at 11 o'clock. We added up we added on, make that, the uh, poll question on at ESPN 1000 on Twitter. Do you think Bryce Harper will make more than Manny Machado? Um, I'm voting right as we speak, and I'm saying no, and we'll see what it gets. A lot of people think that it will. I just think there's only one guy, one team bidding. Why would you pay more? Say, listen, uh, there are also reports that originally, and I this has not been talked about hardly at all, the initial reports were the Washington Nationals made a 10-year, $300 million offer to Bryce Harper. Now, that hasn't been denied by anybody, but what hasn't been mentioned is apparently $100 million of that was deferred. That's what I heard on numerous, several reports. I knew there was deferred money. Then I had heard that it was $100 million of that was deferred. So it was 10 years, $200 million, and you would get it deferred down the road because the Nationals weren't going to give you all three hundred and thirty million a year. Some people remember when they said yeah, neither one's going to sign unless there's a four in front of it. Four hundred million. 
That's that's ridiculous. Quickly out to Lakeview and Alex. You're on ESPN 1000. Hey, Alex. Hey, good morning. What's up? Had a, so on the topic of Harper's money, do you think how much of a consideration is the fact that he's had traditionally a bigger media presence, more maybe well-known, more of a personality guy than Machado? Does that bring in more people to a stadium, especially for the White Sox? Does that sell more jerseys? And does that impact how much money Harper ultimately makes? Alex, it seems like I'm the only one, and I appreciate the call. It seems like I'm the only one that doesn't think that means anything. Uh, now, I know to the marketing of the team it means a lot. But I think, and I heard this actually, this line um, on uh, MLB Hot Stove from Keith Costas, actually. Bob Costas' son, who works as a, one of the people on that show. And he said, winning is the gate attraction. Winning is the gate attraction. If the White Sox brought in Bryce Harper, you'd be able to promote it. My buddy works in the ticket office. They'd be able to sell more tickets, maybe. But if they don't win, you're not going to get more people in the stands. Winning brings the people. That's what the gate attraction is. Speaking of winning, the Bulls won last night. We'll continue some of the baseball talk. We'll get into some Bulls conversation. 312-332-3776. Fred Hubner with you till noon. Jesse at 11 here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Hope you're having a great Sunday morning. Fred Hubner with you till 12 noon. Jesse Rogers talking some Cubs baseball with us at 11 o'clock. 312-332-3776. Talked a lot about Manny and Bryce Harper. Uh, you heard the report that uh, the Harper negotiations with Philadelphia could be over by Monday. We'll see. The question again up on uh, Twitter, at ESPN1000, do you think that Bryce Harper will make more money than Manny Machado? If you're the Phillies, why would you give him more? Say, listen, here's what Manny got. We'll give you the same thing. What's he going to do? Say no? Is he not gonna, where's he going to play? The other, guy, the other teams apparently aren't going after him. So, I don't know. But anyway... Let's talk about something closer to home. And when I mean closer to home, I mean uh, the Chicago Bulls. Bulls have done something that they have not done uh, all year. They actually have won three games in a row. That's right. Three straight wins for your Chicago Bulls. I know right now people are upset. The Bulls won a game. This sucks. Final score, 126-116. Third straight win. They knock off the Boston Celtics. Celtics coming to town and the Bulls back-to-back wins. They played in Orlando on Friday. They got a win in Orlando. They come back home and they play the Boston Celtics who back in December beat the Bulls 133-77, to the worst franchise loss ever. Now, you obviously are a little embarrassed when you lose by that many points. It's the NBA. I know you're getting paid. It's not like a park district basketball. It's not like playground basketball. It's not like uh, college basketball. You're getting paid money, but you want to go on out on the court and win. And that's why everybody wanting this team to lose, uh, I understand why. I understand you want, you know, you want to be one of the bottom three teams. We'll talk about that in a second. But this Bulls team is apparently learning to play with each other. And they have a couple guys that can fill it up. And yesterday, speaking of filling it up, Zach Levine, 17 for 29 
in 38 minutes, he had 42 points. He was 5 of 11 from 3. He only had three free throws, made them all. The Bulls were 20 of 21 from the free throw line. They out-rebounded the Celtics 49-32. And you would not expect this. They had 22 fast-break points compared to 12 for the Celtics. Bulls had 17 second-chance points, just five for Boston. So the Bulls basically dominated the game. They led by as many as 25 points. Zach Levine, as I mentioned, with 42, a career high, and he talked about it. I feel like you're in the gym doing, you know, working out. Um, you know, I think that's what you put, you know, them hours in the gym in the summertime. And you come in late to get shots up. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just... You get in those rhythms. That's why you try to find them every game. It's just the best feeling in the world. So, you know, I try to stay in it for a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah, well, you're going to definitely want to stay in it a little bit longer. He was he was on the run. He was slam dunking. He was hitting his threes. Uh, talked more about beating the Celtics after that big loss from earlier. It didn't have to be a conversation. We already knew what it was. Um, so it was a, uh, you know, they came here and, Whooped our butts last time. You know, it was very embarrassing. Um, so, you know, we wanted to come out and play well, and we did. And they definitely did. There's no doubt about it. The Bulls playing well, a 126-116 victory in that game. Led by as many as 25, as I mentioned. The first time Bulls teammates scored 35 or more since MJ and Pippen in 1996. That's right. Now, they, they did it often. Okay, Larry Markkinen had 35 last night, Levine with 42. Listen to this. Uh, November of 96, February of 96, December of 95, uh, December of 91, and March of 91. Those were all Jordan and Pippen scoring 35 points apiece at least. And then back in uh, January of 82, I was probably at this game, Reggie Theus and uh, David Greenwood both scored 35 or more points. So, Zach Levine, Larry Markinen, two guys that this Bulls team is building around. Now, they're also trying to build around an Otto Porter Jr., who was out of the game, left with a strained lower left leg. He was 0 for 4, uh, just played 14 minutes yesterday, did not score. See if he is ready when the Bulls go at it again. They've got Milwaukee coming up on Monday night. Now, most Bulls fans, when they're upset, about the Bulls winning. It's because Robin Lopez is still playing. And apparently Robin Lopez is still going to be playing. Uh, Bulls fans got upset with John Paxson when he was on the station here on ESPN 1000 and said that he they weren't really going to give the buyout to uh, Robin Lopez. Uh, but he did say immediately thereafter, which a lot of people seem to miss or forget, that he said if Lopez came to us and said he wanted he'd want to go to another team, they would listen and they would take care of it and they would do it. So apparently Robin Lopez hasn't done that, okay? When you look at this Bulls team, one of the things that they need is they still need a guard. There was a really good guard last night on display with Duke. R.J. Barrett played very, very well. We'll talk about him in a second. Um, but the Bulls right now, and if you're a basketball fan and you don't know Tankathon, you got to go to this site. It's just Tankathon, and it's spelled just the way it sounds, T-A-N-K-A-T-H-O-N.com. It has a uh, the 2019 NBA Draft Lottery Simulator. Well, when you go to it originally, it gives you what the record is, what the percentage, winning percentage is, everything else, games back and everything else. Um, and the top three teams 
as you reverse the standings, which will be the bottom three teams, will get 14% chance to get the number one pick in the upcoming NBA draft and maybe Zion Williamson. We'll talk about him also in a little bit. The team that finishes fourth, we get a 12.5% chance. Atlanta would get 10.5 right now. They're fifth. Memphis, uh, the sixth place team, a 9% chance to get that number one pick. So right now, the Bulls have a 16-44 and 44 record. They are two games ahead or behind, whichever you want to say. Uh, Cleveland. Cleveland is the third worst team in the NBA right now at 14 and 46. Cleveland also has won two games in a row. So the question we have on ESPN 1000 for you is, were the Bulls game last night, were you happy with the win? Uh, were you happy? Yes, no, or, you know, because you look at it, actually, did you enjoy last night's win? Yes, no, or didn't watch? Right now, and we'll keep this up, we'll check it before we're done here at 12 o'clock. Right now, equal numbers said they didn't watch and no, 41%. 18% and yes, they were happy with the Bulls' third straight win. And um, if you watched the game, it was a fun game. Bulls had a big lead. You were wondering what's going on with Boston. I know a lot of NBA fans, and I heard Chris Black earlier say Boston's struggling because you got Kyrie Irving, who, you know, I, I, I thought that uh, you know Kyrie was 14 for 24, and in the fourth quarter, when Boston was trying to make a comeback, he just wouldn't pass the ball. He would just get the ball and go to the basket, whatever he could do. He scored 37 points yesterday. He had 10 assists. 14 to 36, or 14 to 24, three of six from the three point line. But Boston is a team that you would think to be, would be a little bit better. But even as Kevin Durant said the other day, they were asking Kevin Durant about some struggles that Golden State had in one of their plays. He goes, listen, we're just worried about when the playoffs get here. That's basically what the teams in the NBA are worried about. Second, third, fourth, wherever they are in the East. They'll get to the postseason, they'll play from there. Larry Markinen, 35 points last night as he was 12 for 20. He was 3 of 8 from 3. He was 8 of 9 from the free throw line. He had 15 rebounds last night. So 35 and 15, not bad numbers for Markinen as the Bulls win their third straight. Markinen talked about it. We've just had a ton of adversities and I've, I've said it every, in every interview that the only way you can fight through it and come together and that's what we've been doing. we demand greatness from from each other every day and uh it's glad to see finally results too so yeah the result was very good last night and they've won three in a row uh they have milwaukee coming to town but Markin and said when they took the floor especially after that loss in december to boston 133 77 uh there was no need for a pep talk we didn't need any motivation to play these guys they're really good they're a playoff team and uh but we talked about that and kind of. Did you talk when you talked about it? Were you guys angry, embarrassed, just like, hey, let's change this? What was the? Uh, no, we weren't like sad about it. We that's in the past, a couple months ago, and uh, we just we had it in the back of our mind. So uh, the Bulls with a three-game winning streak. They got Milwaukee uh, coming up, and uh, they're a situation where. The young guys are trying to play well together. They're working hard. You cannot try to tell young players not to win. Now, I understand if you put Chris Felicio on the court, there's a good chance you could have lost. The other day in the Orlando game, I know Sylvie we had to be pounding his couch, probably scared his kids because the Bulls were about to lose. Larry Markkinen comes down court, takes an off-balance three, and Aaron Gordon fouls him. 
the Bulls were trailing by one. The three wasn't going in. The Bulls would have were all ready to play a great game on the road and lose, which is what a lot of the Bulls fans want to see this team do. Develop your young players. Play Cristiano Felicio since you're paying him, and he will make the team struggle and lose at the end. It was a perfect game. And then all of a sudden, Aaron Gordon fouls Markinen, who makes two of the free three, two of the three free throws, and the Bulls win by a point. That had to be frustrating. Then yesterday, you beat Boston. You figure, okay, we're well, going back. You're playing Boston, so you're going to lose that one. And you have a 25 point lead on Boston before you end up winning by 10. So, Bulls basketball, when Otto Porter gets better, it, it's. It's difficult. I understand what people want. I understand people want to get a Zion Williamson here, or at least a chance to get him. You want a chance to get R.J. Barrett. Barrett is a guy who was really, really good last night. I mentioned we were going to talk about it. The uh, Duke Blue Devils, without Zion Williamson, went to Syracuse yesterday. They put, I want to say, 35,000-plus in the Carrier Dome. There were people sitting Maria Taylor was talking to some people or doing a stand-up at the game. She was so far away, she could barely see anything because they had it split and they added some seats because they wanted to have the biggest attendance. And uh, Duke was trailing at halftime. They came out, hit some shots in the second half. R.J. Barrett was really good. 30 points, 14 of 20 shooting. He had seven assists. Cam Reddish who is the name of the guy the Bulls could end up getting if they drop a little bit down to third or fourth in the draft. He had five points. He was not good. He struggled throughout the game. Zion Williamson was there. He was chatting up his team. He was on his feet applauding. He was having fun when Alex O'Connell started hitting points. Uh, O'Connell struggled in the game previously, the North Carolina game, when the Tower Heels looked really good, and they won again the other day. Alex O'Connell yesterday with 20, his three-pointer was clicking. So we come back. Your opinion on the whole one-and-dones, going straight from high school to the pros, we'll talk about that. We'll also hear from Coach K, what he had to do after Zion Williamson went down to get his team ready to keep playing because they knew it was going to be a big game against Syracuse. You want to jump in? 312-332-3776. Fred Eubner with you here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome on in. Fred Hubner back with you. We got Jesse Rogers from Arizona, top of the hour. Talk about the Cubs. Talk about, uh, it's nice. The weather got nice right when the games are getting started and, uh, they uh, played yesterday against Milwaukee, so we'll see how uh, you know, Chris Bryant, two for two, and uh, there weren't a lot of distinguishable uh, other things happening in that game. The Cubs went on to an 8-4 win over the Brewers. They played today Tyler Chatwood against Madison Bumgarner uh, at two oh five. White Sox continue their spring training as uh, they lost a pair of games yesterday, lost to the Oakland A's 6-5 to and the Dodgers 7-6, to and talk about the White Sox a little bit in the next hour. Um, Zion Williamson went down the other day. The shoe broke 34, 36 seconds into the game against North Carolina. Went out of the game with a uh, slight knee strain or sprain. And um, he was on the sidelines yesterday as Duke went to Syracuse and got a win. 
And there were reports, uh, you know, the talking points after the game where there's no reason that Zion Williamson should come back and play anymore for Duke. He knows he's done enough this year to be the number one pick in the NBA draft. There's no reason for him to come back. And we heard all kinds of people talking about, well, it makes no sense. He's not getting paid. Look at all the people that were at uh, the game the other day and the attention that was paid. Uh, the, the secondary ticket prices uh, for tickets to um, Cameron Indoor to see the Duke and North Carolina game. And you saw President Obama was there. And, heck, uh, Matt Nagy and his kids were there, from what I understand. And there were a bunch of athletes that showed Ken Griffey Jr. was there and a bunch of other things. So, hey, Gronk was at Syracuse yesterday, sitting courtside. That was a nice little seat they gave him with a table and everything at a courtside table but um you look at it and i've thought that i'm a i was a huge college basketball fan growing up big college basketball fan we were talking about magazines the other day when you used to buy magazines before the season the street and smith's college basketball magazine uh was one i couldn't wait to get my hands on and i've got one actually with john paxson on it when he was playing at notre dame on the cover then after that when i really got into college basketball they had the blue ribbon annual book it was a big thick book it gave you in depth about all the players on the, each individual uh college and then it gave you uh previews of what the youngsters the freshmen coming in looked like and it was a tremendous tremendous breakdown of college basketball and then the one and done's happened and then I said, you know what, this is crazy because from one year to the next, I can't tell you who's on Kentucky or I can't tell you who's on Duke because they go and they play and they get good and then they get drafted. And I've always been a fan. Now, someone may have heard me in the past say that I think they should go to college, but I don't quite recall that. I've always been a fan that, listen, if they want to go right out of high school, that's fine. I don't know what's going to happen to the kids that – want to go to the draft right after high school and then don't get drafted and don't make the NBA. They're going to go to Europe and play. They're going to go play in the G League. Uh, You know, are their lives ruined because they didn't go to college as opposed to going to the one year of college and then getting moved? Uh, I I hate the one-and-dones. I'm not sure what it'll do for college basketball and the enjoyment and the excitement of college basketball because you think about it. If there was no one-and-dones, Cam Reddish, R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson wouldn't be at Duke this year. They would have been in the draft last year. So it's it's an interesting proposition. Would they have all made it? What happens with the other guys? Where would they have gone with Doncic and Mark, you know, not Mark, and Doncic and Wendell Carter and all these other guys? They dropped down because of this. Uh, actually, what you've seen from Doncic, he should have been really high up there. Um, but I, I'm someone who says, you know what? If they want to go after high school, that's fine. It's a gamble. But then I'm going to say that if you go to college, you should have to stay. Baseball does it. You go to college and baseball, you've got to stay for three years before you come out. You can't leave the uh, college football until after your sophomore year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I have no problem. College players want to do it, that's fine. For Duke, they had a lot to do. Because when you lose the number one player in the nation, and you're one of the number one teams in the country, you were number one until North Carolina beat you the other day after Zion goes down. Coach K had a lot to do to get his team ready for that game with Syracuse. The last 48 hours, come on, everybody's got opinions about everything. You know, it's not just playing, it's amateurism. And, I mean, 
Thursday for me was one of the toughest 24 hours that I've had as a coach at Duke. Just one, getting over the psychological stuff that happened to our team. You know, we were knocked back. I met with almost every one of my guys individuals, like, uh, and the three fre- three of the freshmen together, just like, how did you feel? How do you feel now? And, you know, and while we're doing that other, you know, trying to handle all the, you know, whatever it is, and and then come up with a game plan and travel. And so we just went through a hell of a 24 hours, you know, and I could depend on everybody. And he did. He depended on his guys, and R.J. Barrett stepped up yesterday. Closer to home, Penn State beat Illinois yesterday, 83-76. Wisconsin had in Northwestern their eighth straight loss. Rough times for Chris Collins and company, 69-64 up at the new and improved Welsh Ryan Arena. So uh, a tough one. But uh, Duke, we'll see what happens, see if Zion does come back. I think he will. I think he'd like to win a national championship with these guys. And I think if he can play, if his knee's better, he'll come back and play. And I have no problem with that. It'd be a nice thing to have on his resume as he gets older. Uh, NCAA uh, champion, okay? Um, going to Duke for the one year, then getting being a high pick in the draft. But uh, you play college basketball to try to win and to obviously get drafted high in the NBA, which he will do. Talk with Jesse. Come baseball. We come back after this on ESPN 1000. See Chicago's game day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way. Cohen all the way. Touchdown, Chicago. Levine, he goes right. Stop it, Samson. Did you not get the memo? He didn't come for the massage. He came for the facial. Oh, my goodness. Chicago's game day. Garcia's home. Hanson scores. Sox win. What a comeback. Biscay escapes again, and he's got plenty of room to run. Look at him go. There's the athleticism for the rookie. Back toward the wall. It's gone. This is Chicago's game day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Fred Hubner with you till 12 noon. We talked um, Harper and Machado. We talked Zion Williamson and Duke and the Bulls and all that kind of stuff. And now we want to talk some Cubs baseball. Before we go out to Arizona and Jesse, uh, Chris Bryant had a nice little day yesterday. We'll talk with him about that. But uh, Jesse, if I'm not mistaken, asked uh, KB about the latest projection that has the uh, Cubs Last in the National League Central, one of the many projections that have the Cubs not having an awesome year. And and that's a great thing, you know, as a as a team to look at that and learn from that and use that to our advantage and motivation. And uh, I know that we definitely are using that. You know, we see some of these projections and stuff like that, and it's like, okay, well, you know, it's it's you know they're selling us totally short, and uh, that's not a good thing to do, you know, for us because you know when. You know, our backs are against the wall. You know, we turn it on. So it's going to be an exciting season. That was Chris Bryant. It was exciting right off the bat as he homered his first time up. We going out to Arizona, bringing our guy Jesse Rogers. Jesse, that wasn't you were jumping up and down in the press box when he homered, was it? <laughs> Maybe a little bit because I actually was rolling uh, my camera phone on the home run. I don't, you know, the game wasn't televised. Right. So 
I can't I can't roll on every pitch of the game, but once in a while I'll pick out a player and you know it's Brian coming back from the injury, everyone's talking about him. So the first time I turned on my camera phone all spring, you know, I'm the video recorder, boom, he hits a home run. So I was jumping up and down for my camera work more than the home run. There you go. Very excited. Yeah, it came out nice. Uh, he went two for two yesterday. Now, Josh, you've been doing this for a long time. I, I didn't athletes and players usually say, listen, we don't listen to you guys. It's all about us. Uh, then it came, then it became, I know in football, there was a Lovey Smith time with the Bears where, you know, it's us against you guys. Is, is that what it's starting to be with all these projections, the Cubs and everybody else, us against them? Maybe, maybe so. I, 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 I let me tell you, I don't think the, the front office especially has a, any problem with this sort of, um, challenge that's, uh, that, you know, putting it out there. Uh, I think they like when people are picking against them. I think they like when, uh, Buster only wrote that, uh, you know, the Cubs are thinking about trading Chris Bryant, which had nothing to do with Chris Bryant's talent. It was more the situation. I think they love a motivated Bryant and, and popping off a little bit after the game as he did yesterday. I'm sure you, you, you have that audio yeah. as well. Um, yeah, you just played some of it. So I, I, I think that they absolutely are using that us against the world mentality. Every single coach at every level at every sport likes to use that. The problem, and I said this to you and Murph yesterday, is when you win the World Series, it's hard to use that because who's, who's against you? Everybody's for you, you know, loving you, all that sort of thing. But that was several years ago. You have failed, not miserably, but you have failed since then, and certainly at the end of last year it felt like you failed miserably. So, yes, absolutely, chip on the shoulder, us against the world. We hate Pakoda. We hate the writers. Why not? I, I, I would do it if I was a coach or manager. It might be the best kind of motivation because sailing along with ten million in your in your bank account and the World Series championship, it's easy to be complacent. I think Theo and Jed set out to uh, make things uncomfortable. That's the word I used on the radio on Friday. Make things a little uncomfortable for from for everybody from the manager on down, and at least in the talk and the in the in the vibe, they, it's worked how it translates on the field yet to be seen. I would have thought, you know, a lot of times maybe they want to ignore that kind of stuff and just overlook it and say, listen, it's just the media. What do they know? And all that kind of stuff. But when you saw the first, you know, the, the, the training list and with the, uh, the numbers on the bottom from Pakoda, um, it's, it's obviously a team thing where that had to be Joe or, or, or somebody that decided to put that up on that list. Yeah. Uh, probably the bench coach, Mark Loretta. That's my guess. Or okay. Joe just, you know, some somebody said put it up there. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. I mean, you're talking about, of course, the daily schedule right. that the Cubs uh, post for the players at the bottom. They usually have a saying. It could be anything from Gandhi to Newt Rockne. Who knows? But this one was a little thing about Pakoda's projections. And you know, we've talked a lot about Pakoda, and I think it's just a symbol. You know, more than anything, the right. idea that there are there are doubters out there. It's not like Pakoda's the end of the world, but there are doubters out there and the cubs are using that as fuel you know i was i was talking to you yesterday when you were on with uh, me and murph and we were talking about a lot of things and you know it's so weird when you see a team that won 95 games last year despite all the problems they had and, and you know i mentioned the problems about uh you know the three big free agent signings you bring in a you know darvish and chatwood and morrow in last month of the season none of those guys are there helping you but you still win 95 games i mean it's not like they had an a bad season, but I guess, and it gets to the point where you always want your team to be. Um, it's not a bad season, 95 wins. It's great for most teams, but you're expecting more from your Cubs. 
Well, yeah, and it's uh, it's also how you got to the ninety five. That was a great number, but they they really you know limped home, right? And the one thing Bryant said yesterday that wasn't necessarily true is when our backs are against the wall, we really wake up. That was very true all the way up through the end of last season. Then it stopped being true because their backs were against the wall and they lost, 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 couldn't score, couldn't score, and then lose the game 163, lose game 160, a wild card game. So um, it's not always, they haven't always put their best foot forward when their backs are against the wall. They've mostly done it during this run, but not last year. So it's all about perspective. If, if they had started out slow and, and, and came home gangbusters, I think people would be a little bit more excited going into this year. But they actually started out pretty good or at least had a big lead or five-game lead into the late stages of the season then blew it. So it's all about perspective and how things happen, and it just was not a good finish, especially under a manager that usually has great second halves and great finishes. It's funny. Before I had you on, I went over to baseball reference, and I, I brought up the team win-loss splits and their games against all the opponents. They were 41-36 and 36 against the Central, 11-8 and 8 against Cincinnati, 11-9 and 9 against Milwaukee, 10-9 and 9 against Pittsburgh. St. Louis beat them uh, 10 out of 19, so they were 9-10. and 10. It was the only game, uh, the only team they were below 500 against. But it, for the, uh, the monthly... They were 14 and 13 in May, but they scored 144 runs. The most they scored all season. And that was in 27 games. Uh, the rest of the year, 28 games, 132 in June, August, uh, 28 games, 113 and September, 28 games, 116. So you look at yeah. it and, and what their, their, their averages, their hitting with, you know, their production, their run scoring. It's amazing how it's fallen off. And they were still able to win 18 out of 28 and 16 out of 28 in the last two months. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a talented team. I mean, we know that it just did not reach its peak last year, especially offensively in the second half. And, and, and the question, and this is the beauty of, of sports is, it is, was that real? Is that something that's that's going to carry over? They have the same position player base. Right? Are they going to fail miserably again, or was that the the anomaly? Because things weird things happen in baseball. It's rare for a team that looks good offensively to go into a tailspin like they did collectively, one through eight, one through nine. But they did. It happens on occasion, right? Teams blow five game leads on occasion. It doesn't happen all the time, but once in a while. So was it a once-in-a-while time for the Cubs for the Cubs to blow the division? And are they going to be back to being the Cubs we know? Or is this the start of a trend <laughs> leading to Pocota's 79-win prediction? <laughs> That's the beauty of this thing. We don't know. And let me tell you, the one thing about playing within your division, and I don't know if it's true in all the divisions, but I think over time this will be true even more so. When you play a team 19 times, plus in the case of the Brewers and the Reds, you know, in the same uh, in spring training here, you get to know them and you get to know them analytically as well. Right. Like I, I just, I just feel like it is really tough against unless it's like the Miami Marlins to go like you know fifteen and four against an opponent in the division. They just know you so well, and the computer spits out you know where to play this guy. You know, he's the sample sizes are larger. I just think it's hard within a division. Now, and plus, this division's pretty good. You look at the names on paper and Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, there's decent players. So, like, if you can just win your season series against a division opponent in any division, I, I, except, of course, against the rebuilding team, right. I, think, I think that's a victory. So, 
you know, for them to go five, six, five hundred in, in the division, is that what you said? That that sounds about right to me. That sounds about right. Now Pittsburgh went ten over, and they were in fourth place. It tells you how sort of competitive the division was. It was really strange. Yeah, it was. And you mentioned something there. You said the same position player base. And it's funny because you probably could split the Cub fans in half, where half the Cub fans are happy that everybody that they had last year is coming back from a 95-win team, and they're probably getting Darvish. And there was probably another half that said they should have made changes, they should have added people, they should have done some other things. And that's, again, why why baseball, especially in my opinion, is so much fun, because you look at it, and it's not like they're bad at positions. These guys have showed in the past that they can do certain things. Now it's, this is the year, not only for Joe with this being the final year of his deal but for a lot of people this is a I think this is a make or break season for a lot of the players on this team also yes I mean Theo has called it a year of reckoning no doubt about it um the thing about it is you know you know it is the same position player base who has done some special things but it doesn't you know Joe talks about this it doesn't mean you're going to repeat not in baseball right I mean LeBron's always going to be good you know, Harper's had some down years, you know, or sort of not down years, but less than stellar years. It, it, baseball's weird. The superstars could be a little down. Um, role players can have great years and then go back to being just that role player. So it's less predictable. I think that's the key. It's less predictable. Sure. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, I think it's human nature, Fred, to when you come up short to want change. I think you said half and half. I think most want to change just because that's human nature. You guys didn't win at all. Something must be wrong. And they may be right. They may be right. But you can't panic um, when you win 95 games. You can't panic when you lose in the playoffs, especially. I think we've all forgotten about that because the playoffs are such a roll of the dice. It's such, you know small sample size stuff. I mean, the Marlins can beat someone three out of five yeah. games, right? That's a playoff series. So you, you, it is human nature to think about change. Um, but but I will tell you, when the Cubs sat down and started thinking trades mostly because they didn't have a lot of money to spend or didn't, I should say, didn't have it in their budget. Which right. We should make sure we phrase that right. When they sit down and think about trades, they will say, okay, Schwarber and left. Do we know we can get someone for sure better than Kyle Schwarber? Do we know we can get someone better than you know, Ben Zobrist right now, you know, you got to make sure on paper, there's a lot of talent here. It just has not always reached its potential. So you, 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 human nature has changed, but you also have to be very careful not to do, not to mess too much with something when you've been on a run like this. I mean, it's a fine line. It's, 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 it's not easy to predict what's going to happen with this sort of in this situation because it was a great year last year with a bad finish. So what does that mean for 19? I have no idea. Another couple minutes with Jesse Rogers. Nice enough to jump in on a Sunday. Uh, the Cubs playing again today. You get to see Tyler Chatwood against Madison Bumgarner. Um, I know it's early in the uh, in spring training, uh, but can you explain the difference between situational hitting and opportunity hitting? Well, there is no difference. It's just the wording. It's <laughs> okay. just the messaging. And, and, and But it is interesting because situational hitting doesn't really – give you an image when you say opportunity hitting to these guys the the obvious next sentences opportunity or next words are opportunity for for rbis opportunity to help the team opportunity you know it it sort of just it changes the message but it makes a little bit more sense because such situational hitting doesn't really give you an image of anything so yeah they're calling it opportunity hitting it was real interesting yesterday to watch joe madden i mean i'm telling you he was as hands-on as i've ever seen 
to the point where he was like, he, he went back in. Okay, they're 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 out in the practice field. Joe goes back in. He brings out some hula hoops. Okay, he can send a guy in to do that, but right. he brings it out. Now there's a, a pitching machine, you know, that they can set up on near the mound. Joe is like dragging it out there, adjusting it, and they put it about oh, I would say thirty to forty feet from home plate, so in front of the mound. They use smaller baseball, so tougher to hit. They're, they're, they adjusted the speed at like 95, and the goal, it seemed like to me, was to try to go the other way. I mean, you're, you're, you're going 90 to 95 right. from 40 feet with a smaller baseball. That's hard to turn on. So uh, the, the goal was, you know, man on third, less than two outs, just knock it down, you know, go the other way. Albert Amora Jr., go the other way. Chris Bryant, go the other way. Actually, Chris Bryant wasn't doing that drill. It was Almora. It was... Um, I believe Zobrist, it was Schwarber, it was like Ian Happ, sort of those guys that you expect to do those little things. Where, you know, Rizzo and Bryant, first of all, they do them anyway, right. but they're sluggers. But those guys that need to do those small things, and Joe was yelling, he was feeding the machine, and he was yelling out the situation, man on second, man up, man up first and third, infield back, infield in, and the goal was just to make that contact. And it was, it was fascinating to watch. Fascinating to watch Joe in action. Now, you might ask what the hula hoops were for. They went to, to bunting practice, and they put the hula hoop on the dirt in the batter's box, and the goal was to drop the bunt down and, and have the ball bounce in the hula hoop. You don't want it bouncing first on the grass because then it's going to be hit too hard. Someone will make a play on it. You want it bouncing on the dirt so it kind of dies, but you still get it out on the grass far away from the catch, far enough away from the catcher. So this was all stuff they were doing yesterday. And that's what they're calling opportunity hitting. Uh, it's cool too because you know when people say bunting, they immediately you know a lot of the a lot of the stat heads and stuff like that say bunting. You know they they think sacrifice bunting. The Cubs it amazes me over the last two or three years, Jess, how many times the Cubs had a runner at third base with one out or less than less than two outs, and the Cubs would always bunt and score the run. I can't believe it happened so often, but it's almost like the teams can't play in because they're not sure they're going to do it. But the Cubs have become one of the teams in baseball that do it so often. When Joe doesn't do it, I'm surprised. Well, yeah, and I think you're, 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 what's probably on your mind is, you know, last year at some point he starts thinking about, i got to manufacture runs. We're not scoring. Right. So, yeah, he's, he's kind of a squeeze guy. We know that. We've seen that in the playoffs. But I think you start thinking small ball when in the second half of the season you're not you're not uh, um, you know putting hits together you're not getting three four hits in an inning or even they didn't hit home runs last year so yeah he's a squeeze guy they were sixth in sack bunts you know people but I think there's a place in the game for bunting it's just not the the same place it used to be right no. someone tweet someone someone tweeted at me he wants the speedy leadoff guy to to bunt for a hit. Um, steal second, gets gets sacrificed over to third, and then you know a ground ball gets him home. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of ifs in that sentence. Sure, and and not many teams play for that one run in the first inning. There's there's a theory that you should, but that's a lot of bunting in one inning. By the way, bunt for a hit, steal, bunt for a sack, bunt, uh, you know, get him over to third for sacrifice. So. There's a place in the game, but it's just not the same place it used to be. Okay, two more things. This one might take a little yeah. bit longer, though. Uh, because of the uh, slow free agent, I think Gordon Whitmire talked about this a little bit today in his column in the paper, but he talked about because of the slow free agency, do you think this is going to allow teams to get their players to sign deals before their free agency pops up? Yeah, it's a story I'm working on as well, and the answer is yes. I think there's a good contingent of agents that are pivoting right now, at least, 
before the expiration of the CBA, and I've talked to some of these guys. Okay, they're pivoting towards towards the realities of the situation. I don't think Scott Boris is one of them. By the way, sure. I don't think he's changed his <laughs> tactics at all. But I do think a lot a lot of other prominent agents are changing their tactics. I would say just even a year or two ago, there would be no chance that Nolan Arenado would get to free agency with less than 12 months to go. And it looks like he's going to re-sign with the, he's going to sign an extension with the Rockies. Right. With, with less than 12 months, usually a star player in his final year. I mean, there's occasions that, I'm, that it doesn't happen, but usually goes to free agency. I'm just giving you that one example. There are other examples that are starting to pile up young players signing extensions. To this point, the Cubs have actually been somewhat frustrated. They haven't been able to sign one single player that they've developed to a longer deal. I'm actually surprised. I'm surprised Wilson Contreras didn't sign one a year ago. I'm su- I was a little surprised Javi Baez didn't sign one a couple years ago. He was offered $35 million for five years. Um, I think this would be the spring where one, at least one, gets done with the Cubs, but I don't know about more than one. Several of them are Boris clients, so I don't think Bryant or you know, Russell's in a little different situation because he's working his way back in. You know, Almora, that's a Boris client, but there are a few others. Uh, Hendricks and Baez have the same agents. I've mentioned this before in the year. I do think there will be a push around the league for, for some more young players to sign extensions before the, the next CBA is up. Okay, and one last thing. Mike Zagurski. Uh, <laughs> you know, 240. Like you. Yeah, it does. Like There's you. no doubt. 200, 240 pounds. He's on the mound, what, 36 years old. Uh, th- does he have a chance? To, or is he, he's out there. He threw yesterday, threw an inning, walked a couple guys, uh, allowed a hit, but didn't give up any runs. Uh, nice little story having a guy like this. He did pitch, I guess, for the Brewers last year. Yeah, a cup of coffee. Look, if he's anywhere near Wrigley Field, uh, no offense to Mike, <laughs> the Cubs have some serious pitching problems. I, 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 I don't think he's going to make it. I, just, yeah. I don't think that there's a place. I'm not even sure there's a place in the minors for him. But um, it was good to see him out there, and he certainly, certainly would be a fan favorite because he is the quintessential throwback John Crook-type player pitching in this day and age with the modern athlete. Um and uh, he's got he's a good sense of humor too. I haven't really gotten to know him, but it seems like he's got a good. You you better have a sense of humor. Oh sure, roly poly body. Yeah. When you have that kind of a body type and you're pitching. Okay, well, I, I I said one last thing, but this it, it's Chatwood today that it's Lester, Darvish, Hamels, Hendricks, Quintana. Does it surprise you at all that the that they're going this early in uh, spring training? A little bit, a little bit, and, and haven't really talked to Joe about it. I, I just sort of assumed. You know they didn't play in October, so everybody's ready. You know, okay. Um, I mean, it's really it's really about three or four days earlier. I mean, by March first, they're all usually rolling. So maybe maybe it's a full week. I don't know, but I, I, that's I just my assumption was since they didn't play deep into October, it was going. Maybe it's just more of a normal spring because you know I don't think the Miami Marlins need to hold back their starting pitchers. Right, right. right. Their season ended, so I, I I think that yeah, it's it's a little bit earlier because they're ready. Um, and they didn't pitch that as much last year for the first time in three or four years. So I think that's just the simple answer. But I, I haven't asked Joe why are they going so soon. It's, it's, it, 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 I mean, that's got to be it. They're ready. Yeah, it's going to make every day interesting instead of Joe and a bunch of guys that you don't you yeah. don't want to see. So even today, start with uh, Tyler Chatwood. Jess, enjoy the day. Enjoy the weather. It's got to be getting warmer out there soon. It looked really nice out there yesterday after the early morning. Yeah, it was still cold, but it was sunny. Now today, it's it's warmer. 
uh, little clouds, but it's definitely going to get warmer as we move along, which is good for the for the players and the games and stuff. Let me mention one more thing. Yeah, um, Addison Russell, you know, makes his spring debut today. I don't know if the Cubs orchestrated it on purpose for, as a as a road game because you know I think his re, his the reaction he might get at a home game would be more of interest than in a road game at least now. Sure, when we get to the regular season, whole different story. But I'm not sure the giant spring fan base. You know, cares that Addison Russell's at the lineup, but I will be interested in the reaction he gets here, and certainly at Sloan Park. So right. remember, this is the first time he's, you know, in uniform in a game since being suspended, and he can play all spring, of course, and then and then he and then he's out until May first. So I do think it's a little interesting just to see how people react to Addison Russell here, and then of course at Sloan Park uh, whenever he plays there. No, there's no doubt it'll be interesting to see the reaction from the Cub fans at Sloan Park. Jess, have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, Fred, be well. Take care. Jesse Rogers out in Arizona. No doubt he'll get a chance to wear those shorts. He's probably wearing the shades anyway because he did say it was sunny. White Sox had a couple of uh, spring training games yesterday. We come back. We'll take a look at those. Uh, you want to know what Madrigal did? You want to know what Eloy Jimenez did? We'll talk about that. White Sox also picked up a couple of players over the last couple of days. We'll discuss that. Get into the 20-second pitch clock. We'll get into the Bears making a move. It is the combine this week. That's right. Bears don't have a first or second round pick, so maybe people aren't as interested in that as in the past. Big game at the United Center this afternoon. The Chicago Fire wrapped up their preseason. We got a lot to do. We're back in just a little bit. Fred Hubner with you till the top of the hour until 12 noon right here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. I'm easy like Sunday morning. Welcome on in. Fred Hubner with you till the top of the hour. It's funny, I wrote this thing down when Jesse was talking about the same positional player base. We're going to talk some White Sox in a second. Uh, I wrote down Schwarber, Almora, Hayward, Brian, Baez, Zobrist, Rizzo, Contreras. There's your... There's your position player base. It's it, it you can you can write it down. There's not many. I mean, you throw a hap in there once in a while. Uh, what else you got? You got the Scalso. Uh, yeah, you don't have much. So you got to rely on your pitching a lot this year. See what Darvish does. I'm I'm eager to see what Darvish. He pitches Tuesday against Arizona. Lester on Monday. Darvish Tuesday. Hamels Wednesday, and I know it's the first week of uh, spring training games, but I'm eager to see how Darvish does once he gets out there. Hendricks on Thursday, Quintana on a Friday. The White Sox, they had two games yesterday, a split squad games. They played Oakland. They lost 6-5. to five. Moncada led off, went 2-3 for three with an RBI. Sebi Zavala, a catcher, uh, can hit 2-3. for three couple of runs scored. Nick Madrigal one for three. He only struck out like five times in minor league ball last year. He struck out like his first or second time up. He reached for a ball on the outside. He went straight reaching for it. And he talked about it afterwards. It says I, I almost never reach for the ball. He said and I did this time. He had an infield hit with an RBI one for three yesterday. Uh, the other game the White Sox played. They played the Dodgers. Dodgers win seven to six. Uh, John Jay one for two with an RBI. Eloy Jimenez, 0 for 2 with a strikeout. Uh, the White Sox threw this guy, uh, Don Roach. He went two-thirds of an inning, gave up four hits, four runs, and two walks. And then Carson Fulmer came in trying to put the fire out. He winds an inning and a third, allowing a hit, 
uh, a walk and two runs. So that didn't work out too well. The White Sox did pick up a couple of players over the last couple of days. They were thinking that Manny Benuelos or Dylan Covey were going to be battling it out for the number five starting pitcher. Because they have four, okay? They have Lopez, Giolito, Rodon, and they picked up Ivan Nova. So that's four. They were looking for a number five. Um, and it was going to be between Manny Benuelos, a guy that pitched for the Dodgers, and the Sox made a little trade. They didn't want to wait to get to a free agency to have to sign him. And then Dylan Covey, a guy who last year pitched some really good games and a lot of times pitched some really, really bad games. Uh, so they go out and get Irvin Santana. Okay, Irvin Santana signs a uh, minor league deal. He was 16 and 8 with the Twins in 2017. He only pitched five games last year. He had an injured finger uh, for most of the season last year. So only pitched in five games for the Twins. White Sox bring him in. It, there's no downside to it. If he can't go, he, if he can pitch, he's going to be better than Manny Benuelos, I would think, and definitely Dylan Covey. If he can't, he can't. It's not that big of a deal. They also bring in an outfielder, Preston Tucker, which. A couple of years ago, this guy was looked at in the Astros organization as one of the guys, an up-and-coming young player drafted. Uh, he's 28 years old now, hitting just two twenty two in the big leagues with a two eighty one on base in three seasons with Houston, Atlanta, and Cincinnati. White Sox pick him up. they got a ton of outfielders, the White Sox do, with Rutherford and uh, Luis Robert. And Luis Basabe is going to be out for a while after breaking the hamate bone in his hand. Uh, that's not a good thing. Uh, but they have a lot of different outfielders, obviously. Eloy Jimenez, uh, they've got guys. Uh, but they bring in this Preston Tucker. We'll see if, in fact, he uh, sticks with the team. Some other things I want to make sure I got into here. And you want to jump in, 312-332-3776. Uh, the White Sox, the Cubs, I talked about them. I had their starting lineups from yesterday. It's still... A little early for some of those lineups for today. Uh, Brandon Geyer's another guy they picked up, the White Sox did, uh, who's, who are going to help them in the outfield. We'll see how those things go. The 22nd pitch clock. This came up the other day, and the 22nd pitch clock, in my opinion, makes tons of sense. But then I also looked at all the rules and regulations for the 22nd pitch clock, and it just is bizarre because it seems like a really simple thing. Okay, you pitcher gets the ball. He's got 20 seconds to throw the ball and everything seems to be fine. Shouldn't be that difficult. Well, some of the rules that they have, they're going to use it in spring training games. So you'll see it. It will operate without enforcement the first spring training uh, to get players and umpires ready. Beginning next week, umpires will issue reminders to hitters and pitchers who violate the rule but no ball strike penalties will be assessed. And then later in spring training, umpires will be instructed to issue ball and strike penalties to violators of the rule, pending negotiations with Major League Baseball. But listen to some of the rules. It requires a batter to be in the batter's box and alert the pitcher with at least five seconds remaining on the timer that he's ready. The pitcher will have to begin his wind-up or motion uh, to come to a set position before the 20-second timer expires. The pitch itself does not need to be thrown before that expiration of the timer. The timer will never be used on the first pitch of any at-bat and will begin running prior to the second pitch when the pitcher receives the ball from the catcher. It's like if you're a kid growing up and you ever you know, did stats, if you weren't good enough, 
you ever did stats or you kept control of the uh, scoreboard or you had to reset a, uh, a shot clock or something like that? That's what this seems like, okay? Um, someone's going to be resetting the timer. They need now a new person at each ballpark around baseball to reset the 20-second shot. Okay, the uh, catcher throws the ball back to the pitcher. The pitcher gets it. Boom! Now he can reset the 20-second shot clock. Um, the 20-second pitch clock in this perspective. So a lot of silly rules where it doesn't seem like it should be that difficult. And for baseball, pitchers apparently probably don't like it because they don't want to be rushed. I would think everybody else loves it. I would think catchers like it because they get their pitchers more in a, in a routine. I would think all the position players would like it. It makes complete sense. Get the ball, throw the ball. Get the ball, throw the ball. How much fun was it watching Mark Burley pitch? The only time I didn't like watching Mark Burley pitch. I'll tell you a little story. I My birthday's May 15th. My buddy Larry Griffin, uh, his birthday's May 15th. So we got tickets for, like, me, Larry, and four of my other buddies to go to a Sox game. We sat, like, two rows or three rows behind the visitor's dugout. Um, great seats on the south side. And Mark Burley was pitching. So we had a beer. Game gets underway. About the third inning, we have another beer. Game gets... They cut off beer sales, and we had only had two beers because Mark Burley was on the hill. Just throwing it, throwing it, throwing it, getting the ball, throwing it, getting the ball, throwing it. It's like, really? We can only have two beers because Mark Burley's on the hill? That was ridiculous. He, But that's the only thing that a pitch clock will shorten. Now, it's funny because earlier in the month, uh, Tim Kirchin was talking about the pitch clock. And he said, it's not going to do wonders. It's just going to speed it up. Just a tad. This thought that the games are going to speed up immeasurably if we have a 20-second pitch clock. As long as we average 17 strikeouts per game and we have this many homers and this many walks, we're not going from 308 to 235. There's no doubt. It's not going to happen. And, you know, the whole thing about this, and they work so hard to try and get the pace of play improved. But he's right. What he said there, as long as you have as many walks and as many strikeouts as there are in Major League Baseball, they're still going to be throwing that many pitches, and it's going to be taking a long, long time to play these games. And I, as a baseball fan, have no problem. I'm watching a baseball game. It doesn't matter to me. Um, you know, sometimes you see a snappy game in two hours and 15 minutes. That's great. Sometimes you see an exciting game in three hours and 35 minutes. That's fine, too. As long as it's good baseball. And uh, unfortunately, on the south side, we haven't gotten a lot of that. We are hoping that w- things do change. Uh, I do want to make sure we take a quick look at our uh, fan polls. Uh, so let, let me do that now. Let me bring it up. Unless, Felix, unless it's easier for you to bring up. Um, let's go over the fan polls and see where they stand right now. Because we hit you with four of them earlier on in the show. And uh, just a way to see what the, you know, what everyone out there is thinking about for the fan polls. Here they, here we go. First one. See, I knew, I knew this one. Do you think that Bryce Harper, this is what we added. Do you think that Bryce Harper will make more than Manny Machado? We almost got to 90%, Felix. Very close. I told you it was going to be that, too. I know. I know. I'm one of the few guys. I got a sandwich bet. I've never made a sandwich bet with Sylvie, but I worked with him on Friday, <laughs> and I made a sandwich bet. Um, uh, so 88% of the people said, yes, Bryce Harper will make more. I'm just, again, if Philadelphia is the only one bidding on you, and you're Philadelphia, why are you going to pay him more? 
You know what Manny got already. Everybody knows what Manny got. I know. Uh, there's a possibility that it's going to change. Um, other ones. Did you enjoy last night's Bulls win over Boston? The Bulls have won three in a row. You're a Bulls fan. You should be happy. Only 18% said yes. What's more surprising, Felix, or I don't know if it's surprising to you, it was a Saturday night, but it was the Celtics. 43% said they didn't watch. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> Unless those 43% were at the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were at the game. I mean, I to be honest with you, I had uh, DVR'd the Duke-Syracuse game. It started at 5, so that yes. was over uh, before the Bulls game got underway. 39% said they did not enjoy it. Uh, how many homers will Chris Bryant hit? I, I like this one. And uh, I was eager to see what the answer would be. How many home runs will Chris Bryant hit? Only 12% said fewer than 25. He was hurt last year. You understand that. Thirty or 13% said more than 40. Come on. Where's the where's the Cub fans coming out? I figured they'd say, I more, would than say more than 40. He could, my if, hope. He, if he's healthy all year yeah, long. Why not? He can do it. 45% said between 31 and 40. That was the number one answer. So, I, uh, me as a baseball fan, when I watch Chris Bryant, there's only one pitch I see that Chris Bryant can't hit. And that's a high, letter high fastball. And if they're going to call it more often, I mean, if I'm pitching against him, I would never throw it. There are times when I'm watching a Cubs game where the pitch is on its way and I can tell Chris Bryant's going to hit a homer. Because you just see where it is. If it's is, could you believe? Like, what was it last year or two years? It was last year, beginning of last year, when they had the Sunday night game against the Cardinals, and he talked to Alex Rodriguez, and he told Rodriguez exactly where he liked the pitch. I'm saying to myself, why would you do that? Don't tell everybody where you like the pitch. They'll never throw it to you there. Giving free scouting advices for other teams. Yeah, he shouldn't have done that. And because he said he actually likes it inside and a little bit, little bit above the knees on the inside part of the plate. And later in that game, he had all run when the pitch went exactly there. Another one of the poll questions after coming in second for Machado: Should the White Sox have gone after Harper? Fifty-five percent said yes, forty-five no. So that's not bad. That's that's almost fifty-fifty. And who is the better player? Sixty-eight percent of the people said Bryce Harper is a better player. Now. Felix, you heard what I said earlier. Uh, Scott Miller from uh, Bleacher Report, he was out with Buster Olney, and he said that he talked to a high-ranking executive that was involved with all this stuff, and he said, one of these guys, you, the players can go over four and still help you win. It's certainly not Bryce Harper, because Manny Machado can help you win with defense. Bryce can't. Yeah, he's, and- he's one of the worst outfielders. He, he's one of the worst outfielders statistically in baseball last year. Yeah, and then what makes Machado great, right? It's that he plays well, good defense. I mean, he's he's a good offensive player as well, right? Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's really interesting. I I wonder if it wasn't for Manny Machado's antics during the playoffs, if he would have gotten more love during this off season. Yeah, I wonder too. If there were teams that said, well, "Listen, we're not going after him just because of all the way the way he acted a fool uh, in the playoffs and in the World Series." We come back. We'll hit on a couple other things before we're out of here. Top of the hour here on ESPN One Thousand. Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Ah, lots to get to in just a little brief period of time. We talked Bulls earlier. We talked White Sox, Cubs, Manny, and also Bryce Harper. Again, I wouldn't give Bryce Harper any more than Manny got. 
Uh, we'll see if Philadelphia does. Right now, it seems like Philadelphia could actually have a deal worked out by uh, tomorrow, and uh, we'll see. And if Bryce Harper goes there, and they got to do it quick because they're releasing um, the show nineteen for uh, Xbox or for PlayStation th- uh, four on uh, March twenty sixth. Yep, so, that'll be the show. Yeah, so, so we should know by then. For yeah, sure. so they need to have this uh, released pretty soon because they're going to have him in uniform, of the uniform, whichever team he signs with. I'm sure they got a bunch of them already mocked up and all ready to go, so uh, they'll be all set. But a couple things. Um, it it sounded like big news earlier on Friday when I was here with Sylvie. It, it was basically a foregone conclusion after we went on the Today Show, but the Bears announced that they will be releasing Cody Parkey uh, when the league season begins. Um the league calendar starts March 14th at like 3 o'clock. So at like 3.01, the Bears will release a statement that uh, they are letting go of Cody Parkey. And, you know, you got to go and get another kicker. They brought one guy in already. Uh, they're going to no doubt have, uh, you know, try to get more. Uh, you saw what Greg Zerline can do. But then also you saw guys like Vinatieri and Guskowski miss in the postseason, and uh, it's not easy being a kicker, but you got to get a guy that can make kicks more than Cody Parkey can. Sorry, sorry, Cody, you are gone, and you will be remembered, unfortunately, for a long period of time. Uh, hockey on the west side, the Blackhawks taking on the Dallas Stars. Uh, the second of four meetings between the two, the Hawks scored a 5-2 win back in December. Uh, Hawks 5-3 losers to Colorado the other night. It was a rough one, but Patrick Kane did extend his point-scoring streak to 20. The Blackhawks right now four points back of the wild-card spot. Kaner, 93 points, 39 goals, and 54 assists. Uh, Taves has 63 points with 28 goals. Brent Seabrook, uh, who has missed the last three games, he is expected to be back today. Corey Crawford, not expected to be back, but there's a chance in the next, the upcoming road trip that Corey Crawford could return to the team. So we wait and see and, uh, see how the Blackhawks do a two o'clock start. Two o'clock. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not a start. It's a puck drop. It's not a tip off. It's not a first pitch. It's a puck drop at the United Center this afternoon. And finally, the Chicago Fire wrapped up their preseason schedule as they uh, beat the uh, Charleston Battery in the uh, Carolina Cup uh, tournament down in um, Charleston, South Carolina yesterday. one nothing. the final. Fabian Herbers, a guy that had played for the Philadelphia Union, the Fire picked him up in the offseason. He scored a goal in the 85th minute. Fire get their season underway against uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic and the LA Galaxy. That'll be next Saturday night out in Los Angeles. And then the Fire come home to it used to be Toyota Park. They took the Toyota Park down. It's now SeatGeek Stadium uh, over there on Harlem and 71st. SeatGeek Stadium. Uh, the Orlando City SC come to town. Saturday, March 9th, it is a noon start. Now, the one of the reasons the Fire are playing four noon home games in the first couple of months. Now, I'm just guessing. No one told me. I'll find out more later this week. But I'm pretty sure I know why. And I don't know if it's the league or the team. But it makes complete sense because when you're playing home games, home soccer games in Chicago in March and April, you'd like to play when the sun's out. Uh, so playing games at noon is a good idea. And the Fire have three games scheduled 
for March and one in April that are all noon starts at home. And you get a chance to see some of the really good teams in Major League Soccer. You get the uh, you get Orlando City SC. No, no, you know, not necessarily one of the top teams in the league. But you will also get a chance to see the New York Red Bulls coming to town. And uh, so it'll be fun. The Chicago Fire trying to improve on what happened last year because last year was not the year they were looking for. Uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger is back. The Fire also picked up C.J. Sapong, a guy who has scored goals for, um, you know, Major League Soccer teams around Major League Soccer. And now he will be a member of the Chicago Fire. So they're hoping that good things happen this year out at SeatGeek Stadium. And it all gets underway in Los Angeles next Saturday and then SeatGeek Stadium on March 9th. Thanks to Felix Reyes for all of his help. Thanks to you. And if you want to check out any of those um, ESPN Twitter polls, just go on Twitter at ESPN 1000. Don't forget tomorrow, Cap and Company right here on ESPN 1000 beginning at 9. Then Carmen and Yurko at noon. And Waddle's back. Waddle and Sylvie coming up at 2. All of it right here tomorrow on ESPN 1000. Thanks for listening.